Hello and welcome to the ET PhD team podcast, the podcast here to help you with your relationship with food and body by giving you evidence-based techniques to support yourself with a sprinkling of feminism, a dash of dismantling diet culture and a side of vulnerability as we share our own messy lives with you. I'm Emilia, a registered nutritionist and PhD with the sole purpose of making your life happier and healthier. If you love it, please do go wild and share it. And if you're ready for support with our coaching, details are in the show notes. Hello and welcome to episode number 137 of the ETP team, team podcast. Gosh, I don't know, I've had a break. I've had a wake up. <laughs> my words should be falling out of my mouth, but clearly they are falling, just not in the right order. Um, with Anna, hi Anna, how are you? Hello, I am delightful I had a very early start today but I had a cracking morning routine so I can't complain <laughs> okay so did you get up at 3 30 when you woke up or did you get up at 5 when you woke up I got up at 4 I woke up at 3 30 maybe a bit before 3 30 and you know when you like I put on um uh like a meditation specific for when you wake up in the night I think it was like mental chatter and I was like this is not helping I no no so then I lay there and I could just feel myself getting angry um but then I woke up and listened to Brene for a bit I'm on Atlas of the Heart then did some yoga and a coffee it was great sounds delightful what a win of of anxiety (laughs) early bird catches the yoga worm yes yeah we're all on it for August yeah it's a team effort (laughs) Mm-hmm. I know even Becca's back on it so yeah oh. yeah I like that that's the August intention right our mm-hmm. August intention is do more yoga so everyone could come and join us um I did a solid I think it was a 15 minute one this morning so I was quite proud of that I, I'm, I'm all for like little and often as opposed to mega sessions I feel like that's the way forward for for someone like me who always finds a reason not to fit it in I think little and often there's no excuse not to do like a 15 minute session or even a six minute session we said this last time didn't we we were saying like you can literally do like between four and six minutes as a minimum and at least you'll be like oh yeah i'll do that i've always got four minutes yeah exactly um and how are you jordan i am excellent this morning thank you good you're excellent because why you got some sunshine in the you got the d I got the D first thing this morning that's right yeah I got up got out had my walk in nature and you know there's some lovely walks down um in the Vale like and I think I I saw it on your story I was like are you just are you just saying that is that or is it actual like the Vale (laughs) I know it's called yeah it's Vallis Vale um and it's like it is it follows this river along and it's beautiful there used to be like some ironworks and forges down there like about two three hundred years ago and they're all abandoned now and the river runs through them and it is just the most peaceful walk it's beautiful there are some insane houses that are just you know you look at them and you're like oh this is like something from a dream um and it's usually pretty quiet like you might pass a couple of dog walkers but this morning um yeah one person I passed and I had the whole thing to myself and it's just the sound of water and birds tweeting and sunshine and I was just like oh good morning yeah nice yeah that sounds like a very thorough ecstatic morning my morning was nice I have currently I don't know if you just saw that it's really awkward on zoom right because I have got really bad chafe from being away on holiday like really bad between my legs from cycling and just from walking 
and I keep trying not to scratch it but when I'm on zoom and I'm like oh I just need I don't think what I'm doing <laughs> and I'll scratch it and I'm like that looks really bad on zoom because my hand is between my legs <laughs> and I'm like clawing away at my skin and I'm like it's not a good vibe but my word I'm going to Lisbon in a few weeks for IFS and I'm going to have to get some I hear body glide is the way forward like that's apparently the the key chafe ingredient because I can't I can't cope it looks like I've got warts that's what it looks like Whoa. it's hideous and I and then like we got so in the last week I got bitten alive and I'm not complaining I had the best holiday ever but I got bitten alive I've got really bad chafe and then on the last day I had a paddleboard incident where it was super super choppy and wavy and I was coming in off my paddleboard and I was like oh I'm just gliding with the waves and I glided in with the waves and then this paddleboard got stuck on the sand and I was on my knees at this point and I just came flying off knees first like delved into the sand luckily my best friend obviously saw it all and was laughing her head off but yeah. now I've got carpet burns on my knees so I look like between warts chafe paddleboard burns and mosquito bites I look filthy my legs are an embarrassment and I'm clawing at my skin all the time so that's nice as I say this as I'm scratching my knee I'm trying to not I'm going to sit on my hands from this distance you've got a lovely Greek goddess glow about you like there is tan you look well rested so like maybe just keeping this distance from the screen is like the perfect, perfect <laughs> kind of balance <laughs> okay great I'll do that I'll <laughs> Or every single person I see too or just keep trousers on although I have also pricked the heat on my arms I'm just disgusting <laughs> but hey I've got a tan so it's fine um anyway let's get cracking on the questions um Georgia do you want to go first yeah I think you're gonna like this one as a starter because we've kind of already answered it how do you work out the things that make you happy it seems to me that the answer to this should be so simple and yet I find it a difficult question to answer it's a difficult one to answer for so many people um especially when they first start this sort of work because for so long food and exercise and your body has been the only things that you have well, I was going to say you've done that's the only thing that's filled your head you've not had the energy to really focus on anything else and, and find out what what truly makes you happy outside of those things I was going, well, do those things make you truly happy? Probably not, but. They give you short-term happiness for sure. I was speaking to somebody, one of my clients the other day about this actually, and they said, you know, I, I'm going to be honest with you and we're just starting together. She said, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm reluctant to let this go. And I was like, I completely hear you because actually when you are objective about things, you know that that relationship with food and that relationship with exercise is not helpful for you. And you know that, you kind of wish that you had other strategies or other things to find happiness but at the same time in the moment that that food genuinely does bring you a bit of happiness you get dopamine for sensory cues you get like you get that of happiness from it so I think at least gives you instant gratification and short-term happiness gives you pleasure not happiness and there's that that talk, I don't know who came up with the, this definition between like pleasure and happiness but pleasure is what we get from like these short-term things like food or sh online shopping or sex or happiness is like contentment and just day-to-day -day things and it doesn't require a thing it's just like that feeling of contentment um and I think that's an important 
distinction to make. You can have a lot of pleasure and still not be happy. But you get all these people that are millionaires and have got all this money and can get whatever they want, but they're not happy. And you can get people that don't have anything really, but they have love, they have connection, they have peace, and they they've got happiness. Um, and I think I think for me that's where it lies is not the pleasure side. Like, don't get me wrong, I get pleasure from food, I get pleasure from buying nice trainers I get pleasure from those things but it's not happiness happiness in order to find out what gives you happiness you have to try different things and and recognize at that point in my life what was I doing I remember feeling happy then what was I doing not what did I look like what you know what how lean was I but what was I doing in my life was I regularly socializing more than I am now was I traveling was I living you know was I helping other people was I learning those like looking back at times of happiness in your life it's less about the specific thing as as in like I was with this person or I had this job but it's more holistic in the sense of okay well maybe I was in love or maybe like I said I was I felt like I had a purpose purpose, or, or whatever it is and I think so looking back and reflecting in order to find out for yourself it's important but then also trying different things now and in that I definitely when I was away Emma had messaged me when I was saying she was like have you had any epiphanies like you always have epiphanies when you take time out time out and I was like not really I feel very content with the decisions that I've made in the last year or so and so I didn't really have any epiphany as such but taking time out and you know getting lost in my airy fairy stuff and doing a lot of meditation and yoga and cycling and stuff and not being in a gym and not being in a routine I was like I needed that reminder to say this is what truly makes me happy it's not not doing work it's being my true self which is not working my arse to the bone not taking any time off which I've definitely got into into the habit of in the last three months or so just because I've been so busy and so I think sometimes having a bit of a pattern interrupt where you take yourself out of your regular life in some way, even if it's a day where you turn your phone off and go for a walk, it doesn't matter what it is, that can sometimes be really helpful to make you go, oh, I love, I forgot how much I love just being in nature. I forgot how much I loved actually turning my phone off or, you know, whatever the case may be. I think what you touched on there was kind of connecting to a little bit of the work in the values resource that we have and if you're not a client working through that with us I think is that the one that you if you sign up to Becca's emails you have access to that's an excellent one and something that um a client and I were discussing this week was she was working through that and she was like hey do you know I realized that when I've been my happiest in the past it was always swimming outdoors so she's got a really busy month of um socializing this month and she was like I've planned with a couple of my friends I'm gonna drag them out to this outdoor ladies pool and we're gonna go swimming and it's gonna be amazing and she was just like I hadn't realized that that was something that made me so happy until I thought about well in the past what made me very happy and I think sometimes like you were saying Anna if you're very much stuck in like food and body it's really hard to connect to happiness because you've kind of forgotten what it is but when you look back at those moments you can connect and be like oh yeah I used to love like was it eating ice cream or was it the fact that I was with my kids and we were outside and we were playing like all these things that kind of play into each other so yeah it's not an easy question to answer but the answer will be there somewhere Mm. um I just googled um the 
specific differences between pleasure and happiness because I knew that somebody had done the work and it's Dr. Robert Lustig and he says that he does a lot of work if you want to look into this but he says there's seven key differences between pleasure and happiness so I'm going to tell you them pleasure is short-lived happiness is long-lived pleasure is visceral happiness is ethereal pleasure is taking happiness is giving pleasure can be achieved with substances happiness cannot be achieved with substances pleasure is experienced alone happiness is experienced in social groups the extremes of pleasure all lead to addiction whether they be substances or behaviors that there's no such thing as being addicted to too much happiness finally and most importantly pleasure is tied to dopamine the pleasure um neurotransmitter happiness is tied to serotonin the happiness neurotransmitter which i think is is interesting i think it says here pleasure is short-lived visceral and can be experienced alone yep and i think i mean that's quite um distinct right because i think that we can certainly feel happiness alone sometimes most definitely yeah, yeah. I was like, i'm not happy about that one <laughs> but, but you're not but you you you're still connected even if you're physically alone like it's rare that you're going to feel complete happiness when you're disconnected from everyone like i think that's probably a nicer like a more accurate way to think of it and that you can spend time alone but you, you're not just spending time alone and i think I think we often talk about this, like this love of being on our own, but realistically, um, we still need people. We still need that social connection and we still need to be around people. And when we push ourselves to be around people, actually the benefit of it is huge. Um, did I mention on the podcast before, like before I went away about the research around introverts and extroverts in lockdown? I don't know. So they've actually done research. Remember in in lockdown, and I know that obviously we were sending each other memes about this, but how introverts were like living their best life in lockdown and extroverts were really struggling. Actually, what's what's come out in the reason that extroverts actually did came out better in terms of mental well-being and mental health than introverts, even though we thought it would be the other way around. And they think it's because extroverts actually went out of their way to connect with other people whereas introverts took full advantage and didn't actually make that make those efforts to connect and they suffered because they lacked connection whereas extroverts still got connection because they went out of their way to get it and it was just highlighting the fact that how important connection is and I think for me it highlighted very much how much as a team of introverts and we and again we laugh about this a lot but it's very easy to say, well, I'm an introvert and I just don't like to be around other people or I'm an introvert and I get my energy from being alone. And that's true, but it's very easy to let that become a self-fulfilling prophecy and that can be quite detrimental to your mental health. Um, so I thought that research was quite interesting. Mm. I think if I had to describe that, like the happiness of being alone, it's also a sense of comfort in being connected to yourself. And from what I've experienced through some people that consider themselves extroverts it's so that they don't have to spend time connecting with themselves and they can be quite distracted by other people and get caught up in that and then the fear of being on their own is more like not really knowing what to do with themselves and how to pass the time without other people and it's not knowing what they want to do and how they want to spend their time and feeling it's much easier to kind of go along with the crowd and I think that there's a balance between introvert and extrovert that one like with anything 
either extreme probably isn't good for you but somewhere in the middle that you can slide up and down is probably going to be your kind of optimal health but definitely for me I think the difference between feeling disconnected and connected has been understanding myself better sorry to go too deep like a lot of therapy but yeah <laughs> that's that's what I would say I agree I agree um okay Anna go for it uh, <clears throat> can't even speak is three or four weight sessions a week adequate to build and maintain a sufficient amount of muscle mass for a 40 plus year old woman I mean it's really it's really difficult to say this doing three sessions of ill-programmed half hour sessions a week wouldn't be sufficient to build muscle doing three well-programmed, decent volume sessions with good recovery, enough protein, um, at a, like a solid intensity, making sure you're progressively overloading, well-build muscle, um, especially if you're relatively new to lifting, within like a year or so of lifting. Um, less, so if you've been lifting for 10 years, and you're doing three sessions a week and maybe in the past you've done more it's unlikely that you'll probably build much muscle at three sessions a week um it's not impossible but the other things become much more important like sleep like protein intake like making sure that you're eating enough and you're timing your protein well and um i think the thing is is what is what is helpful and then what's optimal can be quite different so I, for example, I don't train optimally. I am not going to maximize my muscle gain and muscle under muscle maintenance. Um, but I'm doing enough, to, like I'm doing enough to maintain it on average, pretty much. Because that's all I want to do, and that's all I can fit in with my life. And I think this is the thing. If your life is demanding and you can only fit in, I say only, if you can do three solid weight training sessions a week, then fab, like nail it and do it well focus on your nutrition, focus on training really hard when you're in the gym, like bang on. And to be honest, I think most people overtrain. I think most people spend over an hour in the gym, five, six days a week. I think it's, I think it's ludicrous for most people. I don't think it's necessary. Um, and I think most people overtrain and, and could probably benefit from cutting their training down. Um, as you, as you approach menopause, which you've probably got, like everyone's different with this, right? Um, average age of menopause on uh, menopause is 51 so you've got some like quite a lot of time but perimenopause can start obviously before that and as you air into perimenopause and estrogen levels start to fluctuate and drop then muscle maintenance and muscle building becomes harder and actually at that time a little bit more training or a little bit more regular training is probably going to be helpful and ideally what we want to do is train muscle groups about twice a week rather than just getting them in once which is why if you're doing three sessions you often do like a three foot body sessions because we want to hit muscle groups two two three times a week um so is it great yes and, and is it sufficient yes um is but when you do everything else like on top of that three weight training sessions wouldn't probably be sufficient if you are trying to maximize muscle gains and you are not necessarily on it with your nutrition and recovery and stuff like that but it's certainly sufficient for a lot of people that was yeah I, no I, I i think there's there's a lot of i mean this client is perimenopausal and i think 
it has been a real, real struggle. Um, and like you said, I think everybody gets caught up in the, the kind of more is better narrative. And when it comes to training, like you said, so long as you're hitting everything that you need to be in terms of making progress with your lifts, getting your protein in, recovering well. And recovery has been an issue because sleep's been impacted. And that's why we've actually reduced down to, to three sessions at the moment, just for the recovery. Um, and once sleep's feeling a bit better, we might we might do a, a, another session or so. But I think trying to compare, especially at the moment, to what you've done previously is not going to be helpful. Absolutely. And you're, you're so right. Like with perimenopause, you've got enough freaking challenges of sleep and mood and vaginal dryness and changes in hunger because of lack of sleep. And the fact that you are in training three times a week well when you are perimenopausal is absolutely like fantastic. And I would hate for you to diminish yourself for doing something that's already really quite challenging for you to do this is the best thing you can possibly do for your health and so yeah I think like now with that knowledge I think that's fab I, I remember at FitX the conference that I did recently conference expo that I did with Emma in Liverpool recently and Doreen Yates who's like an IFBB pro <laughs> legend bodybuilder was being interviewed by Dr Mike which was just spectacular. Oh no, how did I miss this? Was how did I miss that? <laughs> it was spectacular in itself because Mike is, Mike is, obviously I love Mike and he's fantastic, but he was like, before he went on, he was like, I'm a bit nervous because I'm like interviewing this huge like bodybuilder guy who actually now is, I didn't listen to all of his interview, but actually now Dorian Yates is all, apparently into a lot of mindfulness work. He's quite spiritual and holistic. And he was saying, you're all spending too long in the gym. What on earth are you doing spending more than an hour in the gym? And he was like, your intensity must suck if you can spend more than an hour in the gym. That is the very maximum. And I was like, it's true. Like, a lot of people now spend hours and hours in the gym. And I've certainly gone through a phase of my life like that. And it's, and it's counterproductive. It's that law of diminishing returns. But also, I just think, if I know I'm going in for half an hour, so I didn't train the whole time I was away. And then we moved hotels like for the last two days and they had a gym. And so on the second last day, I was like, okay, it's been about nine days since I trained. And they had these very aesthetic weights. I don't know if you saw them. So they're basically like leather sandbags with wooden handles. And the maximum they had was eight or maybe 10, but I used eights. And I thought, do you know what? I'll just do like a wee circuit of like, I think I was doing like walking lunges, super sitting with like push-ups, you know, for half an hour, simple little thing oh my gosh my hamstrings still so now today is Wednesday that was on Saturday and I still can't bend properly and I'm like that was half an hour of a session but point is I think sometimes like the shorter sessions you do and you go in and you go I've got half an hour to train the those sessions turn out to be often infinitely better because you're so focused you're like I'm going to be intense and I'm going to be focused on what I'm doing um not that I would normally do supersets and stuff in general but sometimes they can be helpful with short sessions um yeah I think some often they're better other times you can spend like an hour and a half in the gym and you're just fanning around and then doing like not putting enough intensity in because you've got ages and then by an hour later you're flagging out your arse anyway and you're not doing anything properly it's like a waste of time and we don't have time to waste in a way I think the only thing I would add to that that you kind of touched on at the beginning Amelia was like the, the protein side of things if the client is perimenopausal, 
<laughs> it was a great start but like I only had one coffee um then you do see like a blunted response to protein over time as well so even if her protein intake is similar to in the past it may be beneficial to increase that a bit and that might just be either bumping it up at each meal or even kind of having an extra protein shake a day just for the sake of kind of knocking back a bit of protein that doesn't kind of feel too overwhelming but that'll also impact appetite and satiety if she is struggling with sleep and that's kind of impacting hunger as well so that can help with relationship with food energy and um obviously kind of optimal muscle gain if that's what she's aiming for as well mm. an exciting place to be mm-hmm. i have to say that i watched adele the menopause coach i think her instagram is or maybe adele johnson talk about menopause at what was it called fitness and wellness summit in ireland and she and the way that she framed menopause was just great in terms of um how empowering it can be and she's 36 no she's not she's 38 i think or 39 anyway going through pain menopause early um and how empowering is oh total side note i've been i've been doing some research into aging since i got back and i think this is really cool so where's my notes on it I was reading around um, beliefs about aging and if we have positive beliefs about aging versus if we have negative age beliefs, i.e. we think getting older means that we get unhealthy, um, that it's a bad thing, that it's societally like um, unworthy, or if we embrace it as like a positive thing of being, you know, wiser, um, more able to take care of ourselves, all of these other things. And there's physiological there's physiological outcomes of having either positive or negative age beliefs and if we have positive age beliefs we um seem to see lower like lower alzheimer's markers better recovery from injury better decision making better memory potentially even better lifespan and better hearing performance is associated with more positive age beliefs versus more negative age beliefs um and they think it's probably something to do with this the stress you know when we talk about weight stigma there's actually like with weight stigma there's actually um physiological stress increases from that um same with patriarchy because we are fearful when we go out at night but because we are um like often discriminated against we actually see higher levels of anxiety and stress and these cause actual physiological impacts it's the same sort of thing with age and if we have negative beliefs about aging we're more likely to see these like higher markers of um dementia and um poorer recovery poorer decision making and there was one study that the specific researcher did and they were looking at people um who had like there's certain genes that increase your risk of dementia like risky genes for dementia and they increase your risk of the development of dementia but if we have if people had these genes risky genes for dementia but developed positive age beliefs they actually reduced their risk of developing dementia to the same levels as people without the risky genes for dementia and that's just from these positive age beliefs like it's it's incredible and I I think it's really really interesting because in the last year or so I've been much more mindful of age of the ultimately like the finitude of life and for various reasons and so it's something that's really interesting me I'm, I'm going to turn 36 in a month and I'm like it's just really interesting and 
I'm just thinking to myself, like, how can we surround ourselves with much more positive age beliefs to try and like challenge ourselves? Like for me, JLo is like my, my like idol. I think I just think she's incredible. Yes, she's had work done. Of course she has. And yes, she's got all this money, but she is excelling every day in her love life, in her personal life, in her career. Everything is just like, yes, yes, yes. And I'm like, that's what I want to surround myself with. That, not patriarchal narratives about how we need to always make ourselves look long, younger. Not like 22-year-old fitness influencers who are trying to like coach crap coach in a crap way and think make me think that I shouldn't be doing this job because I'm 35 or whatever it is and that was a total tangent but I I think it's really really interesting and I think it's definitely a route that I'm going to go down more in terms of research because there's so much it's just cool so much to learn I agree the more the more I read about that the more I want to read about that because I like I'm by no means over the hill but little bit little bit you're about to turn 36 I've just gone 37 and there is an element of mounting pressure of like well you know do I need to worry about these crow's feet here do I need to worry about like I'm a, I'm a real frowner even my resting face is like a frown and it's like well do I need to do something about that and like my skin isn't quite as like you know elastic as it used to be and like this is a bit softer than it was <laughs> five years ago and I'm like, I have to question myself sometimes. I'm like, well, hang on. Is like, why am I worried about this? Like, I'm actually not afraid of aging. And for me, this is something that I flipped on my head when I was very young, because my dad has always had this fear of aging since before he was 30. Like when he turned 30 for him, he was like, that is it, life is done. And I was like, what? And for me, I was like, every birthday is a gift. Like, because I grew up with people at school who who tragically died when we were preteen my sister lost a best friend when she was at high school and I think there are so many people who don't get the opportunity to be old and gray and be wrinkly and like you know kids of today and all that stuff I look forward to that because that will be an honor for me to get to that point there are so many things in this life that can take you out in a car crash anything any moment and the ability to get old at like great I'm, I'm going to be very pleased with myself if I if I manage that and I was reading something this morning I put it on my stories I don't know if you saw it and it was um it, it wasn't actually menopause related but the quote was and it was at her first bleed a woman meets her power during her bleeding years she practices it at menopause she becomes it and it's a Native American saying and like that culture is just so different to the patriarchal culture that, that we've grown up in and the attitudes towards aging and women who have aged there's the wise woman who like no longer has to worry about like am I gonna get pregnant this and that she can own her sexuality she has all this memory to draw on and people go to her like well, you know like <laughs> not to compare women to elephants but you know the the grandmother elephant that can remember where there's water during a drought and will take like her whole herd off across the plains of Africa to be like, here, see, told you. Like if she <laughs> was still there, they'd have all dehydrated and died. And it's like, I think we forget about the fact that just because you're no longer reproductive in terms of like fertility, that is not your sole purpose in life like and when we connect to it's patriarchy again but when we connect to that being our purpose our role and we buy into that in some kind of way it's very disempowering to the rest of your life and we've got a huge 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 span ahead of us if we're lucky you know Mm. 
completely completely agree completely agree um, okay my question <clears throat> any advice on dealing with days where you're working or traveling and have to be seated more than you'd like I sometimes let my mind dictate my feelings and how my body feels. For example, you've been seated too much, you feel terrible. Cue irritability and frustration and feeling unfit. I definitely relate to this. Well, or have done have done in the past. And I remember like if there was like a day at a conference or something and I'd travel beforehand. And you'd hear all the people that were like, well, I was up at five so I could do a run and get my steps in. And then I came here and I'm like, oh, man, I chose sleep. I chose the wrong option. What have I done? But I think having that awareness and knowing that a lot of it is actually your thoughts, it's awesome in that you can then challenge them and be like, well, do I actually, do I feel terrible? Or is this the story that I'm telling myself? Yes, you might be aware that you have been a bit sedentary and maybe doing some gentle stretching when you can like get out the car or I was going to say, can you do some, if you're, if you're not driving, you could potentially do some while you're, whilst you're sat, but I think it's doing, doing what you can and what's going to make you feel the best. And knowing that some of these days where steps or, or activity levels in general are lower, isn't going to be a bad thing it's not going to have it's not at the detriment to your health by any means yeah because it's it's 20 percent of your time not 80 percent of your time and 80 percent of your time i know this person's obviously specifically but for this person 80 percent of your time probably 90 percent of your time you're super active and if anything we're like coming back to that training stuff we're actually trying to bring that training volume down a bit because it's over the top um so it's not about just what you're doing on that one day. I also think it's important to like, keep perspective in that most people don't have the luxury of not sitting at a desk all day. Most people have to live their lives. I include myself in this. I work at a computer most of the day. And I'm very lucky that at lunchtime or in the morning or after work, I can get out for a walk or do some yoga. Um, and that is a privilege. But like, in order to live, a life where you work and make money most people probably have to sit at a computer like, again of course there are jobs that this is not the case um and knowing that yes sedentary time is not ideal for your health but if you are exercising and you are taking the opportunities that you can on other days or at lunchtime or whenever it is to get out for a walk or just to move around for five minutes and taking like these little opportunities then you are doing more than enough so the sedentary it's interesting the research around sedentary behavior because sedentary behavior has more of an impact on your health outcomes than regular exercise does like not physical activity but regular exercise like it's independent of whether you go to the gym or not the impact of sedentary exercise because it's a, sorry sedentary living because it is so impactful but again that's if you're sat at a desk all day nine hours every day um and not making any effort outside of that to then move or do exercise or whatever it may be i have nothing overly helpful to add apart from i bought this uh desktop conversion to be a standing desk about a week and a half ago and i love it like but it was purely because 
I've noticed that I sit a lot like a croissant many times in the day. I'm like, why does my back feel weird? Why is my hip uncomfortable? And I've got like a leg stuck up here. And I was like, do you know what? I need to stand more. And actually standing up has been great because my back feels better. But interestingly, and this is a weird one, I take better care of myself when I'm standing up. Because when I'm sat down, I'm like, do you know what? I'm just going to work through this check-in. I'm going to quickly check my emails. And I might need to pee, but I'm like, no, no, no. I'll, like, I'll just do this. Whereas when I'm stood up, I'm already up. And I'm like, right, I'm going to grab a drink and come back and like okay I'm going to stretch this and then I'm going to crack on and strangely it's impacted my behavior like in quite an unexpected way oh, that's cool yeah I have a standing desk but it's a movable one so like right now I've moved this thing off the desk and put it on the floor and I'm sitting on the floor I actually don't have a seat in my office I only have a standing desk or sitting on the floor on my meditation pillow so that for the same sort of reason I'd go through phases of standing and sometimes the novelty wears off and I'm like I'm just gonna sit all day and look like a croissant that's fine it might wear off it might I sit down like if I have a tea break I'll go out in the garden or I'll sit down here or I come obviously my lunch break I sit down um or if I'm like my my glutes are killing I always sit down but it has been a really nice change definitely mm. enjoyable is it me it is you mm, okay once practicing self-compassion and having incorporated some of the new habits in my life, I feel like I'm still constantly having to talk to the part of myself that may try to make me feel guilty, may try to tell me that I'm fat, etc. How do I quiet that voice a bit more or will it never go away? Oh, hang on. Sorry, this carries on. Is it just a case of keep having that conversation until it becomes so natural that the little voice making me doubt myself has no power anymore. I know I'm referring to this voice as a third person, but I found it helpful to set it apart and not let it define the whole of me. Like I'm not just this overweight person, I'm more than that. And there's this part of me that has this issue that doesn't need to define the rest of my life or relationship with other parts of myself. I think this last paragraph was just a needed conversation with myself, lol. Well, you've just um, explained consciousness and awareness and mm -hmm. well done because that's a very nice way to explain it. And what I mean by that is this concept that we are not our thoughts and we are the awareness behind our thoughts. We are the listener, we are the audience, whatever you want to call it. Like you've said, you, you feel separate to that voice. That is a product in part of all the work you've been doing with Georgia and a product of mindfulness and I don't know if you meditate or do how much mindfulness work that you do um but a lot of it is is a product of that side of things too um which is fantastic once you get to this point where you say I'm not my thoughts I'm aware of the thoughts I'm the listener you then have the power to say I'm not going to entertain these thoughts or well that's an interesting thought I'm not going to let it run away with me and in part you're right in that you the voice will get quieter probably but it might not go away sometimes sometimes I'll have a voice in my head that's like oh but you ate you've already eaten more than you usually eat today and I'm like whoa that's interesting that's just creep back in I've not heard you for a while and I recognize it and I go okay great and I say but I'm not going to choose to listen to you and I'll crack on about my day and that might happen once every few months or it might happen if I'm stressed or feel uncertain about something once every few weeks or even more than that and you just go oh okay cool and then crack on and and it will dissipate over time when the more and more you go you you approach it with curiosity so you don't get mad at your the voices in your head you don't 
wonder why why is this coming back and why am I still having these conversations over and over again you are because you're working through this you're because of societal norms because of you know situations in your life that are going on right now it's that they may well stick around for a little bit before they dissipate even some more um and it is literally just about saying oh, okay cool and and I think trying to take a really light-hearted approach to it is really important where you just you kind of laugh it or you you you're very inquisitive with it um as opposed to like I said like getting frustrated with it and then just being like oh okay cool I wonder why that that's come back in my head that's interesting but that's not what I'm doing right now and what's important to me is working on my self-compassion or what's important to me is my health or you know recognizing that that's just a thought that's not who I am um you've done the hardest part because you've now got to the point where you recognize this and you've managed to separate separate that that is the hardest part so congratulations on that part and the next part is almost the fun part because it's easy for me to do it for example it's easy for me to do it with food and exercise right because I I'm a body image because I'm quite comfortable with all these things but for me if I'm like why am I why, why am I thinking about that ex-boyfriend why am I why is he back in my head or whatever it is or why am I jealous of that 21 year old or whatever it is that stuff is harder for me because that's not my constant daily work right that's something that I have to notice but the skill is transferable across the board and so I still catch myself now being like don't think about him like he's he's toxic go away or this is not who you are anymore and you're like this person and whatever it is that takes more work and I think recognizing that sometimes it like this transferable skill is so cool because you can use it in every aspect of your life and some parts will be easier and some parts will be harder I think that's such I mean it comes back to kind of like throughout this even when you you have the well I was going to say a really optimal relationship with food it's not to say that you're not going to have bad days and it's not to say that those those voices aren't still going to be there but they're going to have less power over you um and I know, I mean, it, it sounds as though she's already done a great job in separating herself. Um, and I know, uh, well, it's a Steph, Deny, Lynn all have names for their anxiety. And I remember one client of mine had a name for her inner critic and it was easy to be like, oh, can't think what the name is off the top of my head, but it was like, oh, shut up, Susan, let's let's crack on. And again, it's, it's like you said, just not associating or buying into um, the thoughts at the time. Mm. I like the way you said that was almost like a conversation. Like, do you guys, I'll be honest with you here. Like, do you guys ever have conversations with yourself out loud? Like, <laughs> yeah, well, okay, yeah, okay, cool, cool, Phew, me too. Because No, I don't, you too, you too, no. We're just weird, right? Okay, it's that inner voice, like she's constantly going. And sometimes she's full of great advice. Like, do you know when you get something out of the oven, you put the baking tray on the side, you do something and you go to pick it up and put it in the dishwasher and your mind's like, no, 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 that's too hot. And I'm like, do you know what? That's good advice. I won't touch that right now. I'll let it cool down. But then sometimes she's full of conversations. Like, do you remember when you were five and someone said this to you and like, you should have said this. And I'm like, oh my God, 32 years ago, <laughs> let it go. And I will out loud just be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what is this? And then I can carry on. And it's so much easier when you don't identify like as that inner voice. Um, and I think 
is it untethered soul where they talk about that constant chatter and how exhausting it is when you listen to it that's a great read I think for anyone that's like how do I start to separate from that voice that's a really really good book yeah he actually has Michael Singer actually has a new book um I haven't read it but I think it's meant to be quite good it's like I can't remember what it's called but it's I think it's meant to be quite good I was listening to some of his stuff when I was away and what the, I listened to this quote that he said and he said this was just on the podcast and he said the moment in front of you is not bothering you you're bothering yourself about the moment in front of you but it's so true and I said it to my friend because she was overthinking she's an overthinker and um she was yeah she was like oh send me it. I'm going to make it my screensaver and I was like yeah because it's it's absolutely true and I know this is not specifically about self-compassion here but it's not sitting at your desk all day that's bothering you it's you're bothering yourself about the fact that you're sitting at your desk all day and as soon as you recognize that you can be like well it's a choice you're making a choice and so you can choose to bother yourself or you can choose to think differently we can choose to move out of that headspace and is that easy absolutely not does it require work absolutely and that's why we encourage you to do it but it's still a choice mm. Anna question <laughs> overthinking again um I'm trying to accept that everything happens for a reason but I'm struggling and end up overthinking any tips how to get out of this headspace the previous eight minutes. <laughs> um, the thing with everything happens for a reason is that, yes, it's true, but it doesn't really, it doesn't really help in the moment often. When you're in the depths of hell, it's very hard and it can be quite patronising towards yourself to be like, don't worry, babe, everything happens for a reason. It is what it is. Everything that, like, bore off like, it doesn't make it any easier to deal with a lot of the time and actually Anna and I we just had a meeting before this and we were talking about something else and it's like this is happening because because else will happen and and so we'd like I mean we that's the epitome of living in that line of everything happens for a reason it, it does but I think the overthinking side of it often we overthink because we are trying to control in our heads something that we can't control in reality and overthinking I think gives us this sense of control in that so let's let's again take a dating example where you've just been dumped right and you're really upset you overthink everything because you don't know why you've been dumped you think there could be other things going on so you it, rather than sit with the fact of being uncertain and, and not actually knowing what the future holds, you go, I'm going to overthink everything and I'm going to plan out exactly what's actually happened in my head and I'm going to feel sure about that because you, you're seeking a sense of control. And I think the answer to this question is sometimes just about, and I know this sounds really, really easy, but it is really just getting to a place where you feel comfortable or you feel okay and accepting of the fact you are never going to have control. You are, no, you are never going to know what's coming around the corner. You are never going to get everything done. You're never going to, like, none of these things are ever going to happen. And until you accept 
that things are never going to be perfect and things are never going to be in control. You're always going to be overthinking. You're always going to be overdoing. You're always going to be like overanalyzing your food or your exercise to try and find that control. But that control doesn't exist. And so I think it comes from the acceptance of acceptance of that as opposed to necessarily changing the way that you think about whatever's going on right now. But of course, all the stuff that we've just been speaking about, about the awareness of those thoughts in your head is obviously still really important. I think if you try and... Oh, sorry. No, 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 go ahead. I was just saying, I think if you, you try and think too far ahead, sometimes you're missing out too many steps as well. And like, you know, you can't predict what's going to happen in a week or a month's time and how you're going to get through whatever you're working through and just like from a personal point of view what I have found uh, hard what I found easy when I'm going through easy hang on what I have found has helped me <laughs> when I'm going through something that doesn't feel easy um it is thinking more about okay well what what's my next breath what's my next move what's my next hour what's my next day like and just focusing on on the now and like what can I do right now and not worrying too much easier said than done but not trying to control what's going to happen in the next two days or in the next two weeks um because that's I think when the overthinking comes into play because there are so many possible outcomes from every possible choice and rather than worrying about all those different strands like just think about okay well what's the next tiny thing that gets me through um and that's certainly the way that I find coping with things um can be quite helpful um okay what would be this is Steph's question what would be the best advice you could give to help to get to know yourself and quote quote love yourself I'm really trying to work on my relationship with myself which kind of ties back into the first topic that we were talking about I have just begun Nicola Hobbs daily awakening journal and I think well from what I've done so far I think that would be well I mean obviously I'm going to say journaling full stop to get to know yourself but um that so far has been really quite insightful and again like I think I'm pretty self-aware but <laughs> I uh, yeah I would recommend having a having a looks at that mm. I think a quite a nice activity is to think about is to make a list of everything that you feel that you know about yourself already and put it like fold your paper in half like your A4 paper like your in your journal in half and then the left hand side write down it might take up multiple pages, right? Everything you know about yourself already or you think that you know. So for me, it might be, I'm a bit of an introvert. I'm naturally quite shy. I um, used to have an avoidant attachment style. I um, used to. <laughs> I, yes, definitely. I like to fix people. All these things, right? Um, and then the right-hand side, write down, where has this belief come from? Um, okay, I know where a lot of this has come from because I've done the work before myself. I'm not going to share that with everyone here. But <laughs> um, like, write down where it's come from and then like go back on it and be like, well, is this true? Um, or is, like, is this like something that I've adopted from other people? Or is this actually a true thing about myself? 
because I think sometimes we like sometimes we adopt like what we think we know about ourselves just from what other people have said to us so my ex-boyfriend who was vile when about five years ago he always said to me you're too independent you know you you could just get up and walk out of this relationship whenever you want and I hate it and all this stuff and so after it whenever I thought about dating and people would be like oh like like asking about my past I'd always be like I'm too independent I'm too independent and I know that's the thing that's not me at all when I'm in a relationship and Emma's Emma's mentioned this to me before like I am my role in a relationship flips on its head from what I'm like in real life I'm like can I make you dinner like can like we sit and watch this over I am that person I want to have your babies I want all this stuff and I was like, I completely internalized that that narrative about who I am from that person. Because I was in that relationship with this person for a few years and we lived together and it was very intense, right? And then I believed it about myself until I started to kind of go, actually, the way that I live my life is not like that at all. So I think really, again, this is all journaling stuff, but really like doing that self-question about finding out about who you actually are versus who you told yourself you are based on other people can be really really helpful um and I think when it comes to loving yourself it's loving yourself is not loving yourself loving yourself is finding peace with yourself and acceptance for yourself about who you actually are and I think the, the way that happens is by connecting with people as you actually are like and connecting with yourself and saying it's okay that nobody like people don't like this part about me because the people that I love do or I love that part about myself and so I think you really have to once you've stripped away all of this stuff think like ask yourself every day like what do I need what do I want and then coming back to that stuff that we're talking about at the beginning like what points in your life did you feel most connected with yourself and happiest in yourself what did that look like and those are the things that will like acting in that way will help you get to know yourself better I think okay let's do one last question um Georgia go for it uh okay one thing that I hated about tracking calories is how much it preoccupied my thoughts and how much brain energy it took from me should making mindful eating choices feel equally as mentally taxing sometimes? Occasionally, I just want to eat some Ben and Jerry's and not have to pause or check in with myself or make a conscious choice to eat it or not. Think about if I'm truly enjoying it or not. I know the work I'm doing is really working for me, but sometimes it feels just as taxing as counting calories used to. I think it can do. Uh, it can feel a lot but it's just like any other habit it takes some some time for it to sink in and to feel like second nature um and in in that sense yeah it is going to take some some effort um to continue to remind yourself but i i'd question about the preoccupation with it yeah I think I agree and I think when you're saying question of preoccupation it's because what often happens when we move into this is that we want to try and do it perfectly so we were then preoccupied with trying to do it perfectly and it's not about doing it perfectly one of my clients actually we had this conversation recently because she has this thing of well I wasn't super mindful because I wasn't I didn't do I didn't take this long to eat my meals and I didn't 
I was distracted and all these things. And it's like, yeah, but mindfulness is about being present and non-judgmental with where you are. It's not about being perfect. And so if we're looking at trying to be perfect with mindfulness, it's also about not being non-judgmental. It's also about being non-judgmental. It's not about ticking a box. It's just about being, it's just about being and being present. Um, what I would say is if we look at like, there's this hierarchy of competence, which is like this idea of when we're learning a new skill, we move through this hierarchy of competence and it starts at unconscious incompetence, which is like, you don't even know that you're doing something quote unquote wrong. Then you move into conscious incompetence. So you're aware that this is not the right way to do things. So this, for example, might be when you come to work with us, you know that things are not quite right, but you're not quite sure what you need to do. Then you move into conscious competence. So you're aware of what you're doing and you're doing things relatively well. And this is where you might be here with this kind of feeling of preoccupation with mindfulness, where you're doing all the stuff, you're ticking all the boxes and you're, and it's helping you. Um, but then, but it's still what we call analysis. It's still intentional. It's still like you thinking about these things, but then you move from conscious competence into unconscious competence, which is much more intuitive, which is less um, taxing. And it's more just like where I would say, I probably am now where I'm like, before I eat, I'm like, oh, actually I'm not hungry. I'm going to do something else. And it takes a split second and I'll go for a walk instead. And, but getting from unconscious incompetence to unconscious competence through those four stages takes time and that's why again we don't often like we'll never say oh we'll sell you an eight-week program because ultimately that's not how it works it takes time to go through these stages what's amazing is that you're now in this conscious conscious competence stage which is like three stages deep so you just have to keep being intentional with it and eventually it will start to feel much more intuitive and much more natural and less taxing but definitely think about that preoccupation side of it as well. Yeah, exactly that. I think sometimes people think, well, now that I'm doing this, I should be intuitive and it should be super easy, but like any change takes some, some conscious effort initially. And then eventually you'll just go, mm, Ben and Jerry's nice. Like, or you'll reach for it and be like, oh, actually, I don't fancy it. And that will be it. Like, and then you'll be like, oh, I don't think I'm being that mindful because I'm really not paying attention. But actually it's just that it doesn't take as much effort as previously. And I like, I'm so full of terrible analogies, but I always think of this as like driving a car. Like, you know, when you first start driving, you're like, oh my God, did I check my mirrors? I've got to indicate if I'm going to, I've got a signal and then I've got to move and which gear am I in? And oh my God. And then like one day you just get somewhere and you're like, I don't remember driving, but here I am. And I just did it. And like, you know, like you pay it and you know, again, like you're like, Thanks, oh, I'm like, getting in a car with you. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the danger. Um, <laughs> But yeah, like you, you're not thinking like, oh, check my, you just do it. You check your mirrors, you signal, you maneuver, like you crack on with stuff and it doesn't take up the same mental energy that had you like shaking in your first like driving lesson. And it's just, it's part of that process and you'll move through that. And like you said, I mean, you're like, one day you'll just be like, oh yeah, that part's down now. What, what next? <laughs> and then also you might flip back. You might go back to having to be conscious again. And sometimes like, like we talk about this a lot, you know, if we're having struggle in ourselves, and maybe we go through a spell of maybe emotionally eating more, it's like, oh, actually I need to go back to being conscious about it. And it's flipping between these two. And that's absolutely fine to flip between them. Most of the time, once you've done all this work, you'll be in the easiest part, but sometimes you'll have to be a bit more conscious again. And that's fine. Okay, let's leave it there. Excellent questions, everyone. Sorry we didn't get through that many, but I think I 
I think we went off on quite a few tangents. This is good. <laughs> I know I went off on quite a few tangents. Um, I hope that's okay. And we will answer more in the next episode. Thanks, guys. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. And as always, if you did, please do feel free to like, share, subscribe, and review. And if you would like to chat to me, then you can find details of my Instagram in the show notes.